Talk 1041. I am Nick Reed. There's been an attempt by some to learn where this massive flow of dollars is coming from, funding a lot of these pro Hamas protests that are taking place across the country. And uh, apparently, it's come as a huge shock. Uh, some billionaire left wingers or millionaire left wingers. I suspect that the mainstream media did not do much of a search on that because instinctually I suspect they probably had an idea that it was one of their own. Probably suspected. All right, let's see if there's anything here I need to mention to you. Now, ksgf.com, I will say before we get to our author of the week, sponsored by ABC Books on North Glenstone, this is going to be an interesting one for you. The, the author is Joe Allen, and he's author of Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. That sounds like a lot. And when you hear trans, you think, oh, here we go. This is about the integration of AI and machinery into humans, sort of cyborg-type stuff. And how once upon a time, of course, we, we watch this stuff in movies, Terminator and you know, all that sort of stuff, right? We're getting there, though. There, there are people that are actively funding the, the, the programs working on advancing this. And this has been done to a certain degree. So what does this look like? And I think a lot of us don't think too much about it because we, we're like, well, that'll be the end of it. I mean, what, what are we going to do? The machine's going to rise up. They're going to kill us, and that's going to be the end of it. There's nothing you can do about it. So he, he, he writes extensively about this. He's a very smart guy, very interesting guy. And, um, uh, and uh, he, he looks for a pathway out of it, you know, what can be done in order to resist this. So we're going to talk with him on his book, Dark Aeon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity coming up. That, of course, sponsored by ABC Books on North Glenstone. The latest news update. From Color 10 News, I'm Jesse Inman. This morning, a family continues to grieve the loss of a son and father who was killed this week in a downtown shooting. Springfield police are still looking for clues that could lead them to a suspect that shot and killed 26-year-old Chavez Wynn and injured his pregnant girlfriend. Family and friends of Wynn spoke with Color 10. They're pleading for answers in what led to the two being shot while they sat in their car near the intersection of College and Campbell. When police release info on a suspect, we'll let you know. A man accused of robbing a dry cleaner in Springfield is set to be sentenced today. Authorities say Luke Jungers went to Glow Cleaners and gave a note to an employee that said he had a gun and to give him money. Jungers entered an Alford plea earlier this year, meaning he does not admit guilt but knows there is likely enough evidence to convict him. From Color 10 News, I'm Jesse Inman. First alert forecast sponsored by St. Clair of the Ozarks. Home improvements from Color 10. Fox 49 meteorologist Tom Schmidt. Clouds a high today of 67. Slight chance of rain tonight, 51. And tomorrow a slight chance of rain in the morning. Then sunny with a high of 62. 
Springfield's Talk 104.1. I'm Nick Reed, and it's Author of the Week time, sponsored by ABC Books on North Glenstone. And I want to welcome our author this week, Joe Allen, author of Darkie on Transhumanism and the War Against Humanities, written for Chronicles, The Federalist, uh, which I know many of you are familiar with, Human Events, National Pulse. He has a master's degree from Boston University, where he studied cognitive science and human evolution as they pertain to religion, and uh, now serves as the transhumanism editor for Bannon's War Room, again, uh, which I know many of you are familiar with. I want to thank you for being with us. And there are a lot of words in there that can sound overwhelming uh, to the average person. And if you would, I'd like to start off with just basic, what is transhumanism? Just think about extreme technologies and the radical adoption of them. A really good symbol uh, or touch point is the brain implant. Uh, you think about Elon Musk's Neuralink project, the desire to improve hu- improve human intelligence by linking the brain to artificial intelligence. Uh, that is a, a really profound image and one that encapsulates, I think, uh, transhumanism, although it, it, it gets uh, very complicated very fast. But the, the simple desire is to improve the human individual and to improve the human species as a whole, to direct evolution towards greater intelligence, greater power, uh, greater prosperity, and uh, in, the, in the meantime, transforming everything it means to be a human. I think that the, the average American has been slowly made comfortable to some degree with the visuals of these advancing technologies. We've uh, seen from you know a lot of us kids you get the little toys and so forth and and they've become more human-like in appearance which it does as they get more humanistic uh, have an eerie factor to them it seems as if perhaps what is really relevant in terms of the relationship between the technology and humans is more of what isn't seen but that that being said the I, I know one of the more advanced examples of this is is that, Sophia, uh, the name of the robot. And I've seen a number of articles and these videos will go viral, I think, because of the the humanistic components to them that that are new for people to see visually. Um, Is this an example, this Sophia of transhumanism? Is is Sophia relevant in all of this? Where does that come into play? Well, um, if you look at the cover of the book, the robot on the cover is an homage to Sophia. And I spend uh, a lot of time going into what the meaning of Sophia really is. To put it really simply, the creators at Hanson Robotics, that being David Hanson and Ben Goertzel primarily, in, they intend Sophia to be a sort of emissary of the transhumanist movement to the wider public. And Sophia has had an enormous platform. Sophia has been presented on all sorts of mainstream television shows. Sophia was recently at the UN delivering a talk, you could say, uh, on uh, sustainable development. Sophia has been at the UN multiple times, is, is in fact an honorary ambassador of the UN. Uh, Sophia's met with 
a number of world leaders, if you want to say, you know, it, it becomes kind of awkward to, to talk about a, a robot and a clunky one at that meeting with people, but it's in fact what's happened. And the idea of Sophia is this, that human beings are becoming symbiotic with advanced digital technologies, that we are approaching a world in which human beings and robots, maybe more importantly, human beings and artificial intelligence are going to be more and more in partnership and uh, eventually human beings are going to resemble robots to a profound degree and robots are going to resemble humans to a profound degree. So that, as Ray Kurzweil predicts, uh, it, it, the singularity, which is again essential to the idea of Sophia, the singularity will be a moment in which the virtual and the actual will be indistinguishable, in which the human and the machine will be indistinguishable. That is the symbol that Sophia is presenting to the world. And, I, it, you know, it's, it is uh, in some ways laughable. You see Sophia uh, scrambling to uh, uh, put a sentence together whenever they let her off the tether, um, and the AI is actually doing its own work. Uh, Sophia's AI is not as good as, like, chat GPT or something like that. And, of course, her movements are, are weird and jerky, uh, but the people working on it and the people who support it are uh, very influential and, in, in the case of the people supporting it, very powerful and very wealthy. We're talking with Joe Allen, author of Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Those who are behind this, you mentioned, and there is, a, I think, it's just a natural human characteristic of certain people in particular just to try things you know the Wright brothers trying to fly just to see if we can and I think that is understood but at the same time you can't help but wonder are people motivated by factors of a desire to control uh, just more nefarious reasons what do you see as being the human motivating factor behind this push for transhumanism you know, I think both of those motivations are present uh, in various degrees in various people, and uh, it, that makes it that much more difficult to combat. If it was a matter of one or a cabal of uh, evil supervillains who have plotted to overtake human beings and, and turn us all into remote-controlled cyborgs, that, that would be an easier issue to confront. And there is a bit of that. Right. You see a lot of the policy proposals put forward at the World Economic Forum. And they, they really uh, whoever was doing their PR wasn't uh, conscientious enough to uh, conceal the sort of, uh, uh, <clears throat> we'll just say, overbearing and uh, controlling elements there. But, you know, even there, there's a broad uh, range of ideas being presented and, and proposals for how to use these technologies. And really, really, the probably the central argument in transhumanism is libertarian and is one of freedom. It's one that human beings should have the freedom to create whatever technology they want, to merge themselves with whatever technology, technologies they want. They call this morphological freedom. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is, uh, in, in a sense, uh, an honest uh, approach to these technologies, but it, for, it, it leaves out, it omits one really important element is this. These people, by and large, believe that 
evolution is the driving principle behind life in the cosmos. And in evolution, the more advanced species replace or at least displace the less advanced species. And those transhumanists that are really honest about their vision for the future openly discuss the replacement or displacement of legacy humans, of humanity 1.0, by the transhuman, by humanity 2.0, even by the posthuman, so that human beings aren't even relevant at all, and the future belongs to artificial intelligence and robotics. It's nightmarish. We're talking with uh, author Joe Allen, the book Dark Eon, uh, transhumanism and the war against humanity. I, I guess everyone has their own uh, idea of what makes a human being. Um, and so I'm curious your thoughts on it, because I, when you, you talk about this evolution and the desire of some to essentially, I guess, replace humans with superior uh, trans beings, transhumans, but there's always, I think, the one thing, and, and you may be different, but I, I think whatever you want to call it, a soul, there's that thing within us that do that does make us unique, does make us different, that seemingly, and, and I don't know, maybe it can be replicated, I happen to think that it cannot be, that that if, if that can't be replicated, can humanity really be improved upon or enhanced or or is there a belief that we just really are bits and pieces of things uh, no different than something that can be created in a transhuman and that soul component is irrelevant? I myself believe that we exist on two planes, the physical with which we are very familiar and it's easy to grasp, and the spiritual which is much more subtle, uh, that being the seat of the soul, the, the realm of the soul of consciousness, of a consciousness that, in fact, already transcends the biological, even if we are, in some sense, trapped within the physical or, at the very least, deeply embodied. And then there's one more level to that, though. In human endeavor, beginning with the, the spear and the campfire and the cave painting, human beings have always externalized the soul, the deeper spiritual realm, and expressed the soul in physical form. And so as our technologies have developed more and more, those technologies resemble the spiritual realm, the heavens and the hells, the spirits, the ghosts, the angels, the demons, and the gods. And this is what transhumanists are talking about. But most transhumanists don't believe in a transcendent realm beyond the physical. They believe they are creating it. Mm. So what does this visually look like? Like most people, uh, I suppose we grab the the images that we've seen from movies that are portraying the future, and, and that's what fills our mind with, here's what it looks like one day. Are we going to be walking around and meeting people and, you know, on your third date, that's when you learn uh, that this person is actually not a person. How, what, what does it, the future look like? Uh, those are, you know, really fantastic dreams that may or may not come to full realization. Uh, the degree to which these dreams, and they're very old dreams, uh, in fact, the dreams of creating uh, human uh, automata uh, that goes back well over 2,000 years. But uh, the degree to which it will actually be realized, uh, I, I don't know. Nobody really knows. But I, I do know that especially in the last 10 years, 
the advancements have been really, really incredible. And so you can assume that it, some approximation of these dreams uh, are, in fact, coming. It's just how much one doesn't know. But if you think about it again in terms of religion, especially if you think about it in terms of other people's religions, right? Most people don't believe in the gods of other people. Uh, some are different, but most people, if they're Christian, they don't believe in Vishnu. But yet, over a billion people on earth do believe in Vishnu. And Vishnu and Shiva and Krishna have profound influences over the way that they live, over their politics, over their economics. And so in the same way, even if these technologies don't come to full fruition, even if you don't end up with lifelike sex bots draining bloodlines one by one until you know, most human beings are zapped out of existence, what you will get is some approximation of it, and what you will get are people on mass who believe it, who are motivated by these futuristic visions. Look at Elon Musk. Look at Mark Zuckerberg. Look at Larry Page. Look at our tech oligarchy. These people have tremendous impacts on our lives, and all of them live in that futuristic religious worldview. Different versions, but they all share that worldview. The the title of the book itself, uh, Dark Eon and Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity, it can, I suppose, mean different things to different people. And perhaps it is supposed to, on one hand, we think war against humanity, and many people may think of scenes from Terminator, for example, while others think about the soul and the eventual, elimin- uh, eventual elimination of of that, what makes people human beings by this evolution, what is the true danger to humanity? Is it the Terminator-style war? Is it the replacement of, of what matters about humans? The first thing that people need to worry about is the systems of control that are being put over human beings all over the world. China is a really good example of where it will go in its extremes. The second is the radical adoption of these technologies means also radical dependency on these technologies, uh, especially in those who do not have the kind of cultural backgrounds to uh, maintain virtue and discipline side by side with those technologies. So the second thing is atrophy. You already see it. Google-brained people who can't go anywhere without their GPS directing them there. Uh, just write that uh, across, you know, human future for the next uh, century. And for at least a substantial proportion of people, you're talking about something very deformed, something, uh, you know, very pitiful. Um, and, but, the, you know, I go into this in the book, the war against humanity, there's two different elements. One is just a war against the concept of the human, the war against the, the concept of human dignity or, uh, you know, the, the sacredness of the human form. All of that is up for grabs. All, all of that's up for radical transformation or even obliteration in, 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 in the movement or a metamorphosis into something else. But it also deals with the narratives we're hearing more and more and more now about artificial intelligence being used by nefarious actors to destroy large numbers of human beings or the idea that artificial in, uh, intelligence itself will develop its own initiative, its own agency become malevolent and destroy humans. Now, I don't think that is a, an imminent threat, if it's a threat at all, but I do think that basically the narrative, the artificial intelligence itself will become an evolutionary competitor and will replace human beings. It is 
sound in the sense that it follows an atheistic evolutionary narrative to its logical conclusion. So I go into all that in detail. I go into the thinkers who have really uh, mapped out those possible futures. Uh, but I, I, I myself think the most important thing you have to worry about is control and human mm-hmm. atrophy. And so the final question I'll ask, and then any final thoughts you have as we talk with Joe Allen, our author of the week, sponsored by ABC Books on North Glenstone, the book Darkie on Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Is there hope? I, I, I think that, again, and movies oftentimes play out in this sort of dystopian way, and, and there, for a lot of people, I think is almost a sense of resignation. It's like, well, you know, nothing we can do about it. Um, is there hope? What can mere humans do to prevent this this evolution of transhumans essentially, you know, making humans extinct? You know, uh, Native Americans, Africans, uh, Indigenous Asians—they all uh, maintained a high degree of integrity and dignity in the face of technologically advanced invaders. And uh, they're still around for the most part, um, in a, in maybe in a, a subservient form. And you know, I, I think that there's no reason to despair. I think that human beings have made it through enormous uh, disasters, you know, trials and tribulations far beyond far beyond what we in America are going through right now, certainly. Uh, and so, uh, you know, really, the, my, my purpose is not to scare people to death. Uh, my purpose is to, in some sense, desensitize them to the horrors of this, because I don't think these developments are going to halt. And I think that people have to prepare themselves for a radically different way of looking at the world and perhaps radically different ways of life. And my hope is that a sufficient number of people will at least be moderate, if not resistant, if not, uh, you know, outright defiant of these transformations of this progress, so-called. And, um, and those will be the, the people who carry the torch of humanity into the future. I don't think that it's going to be the same for everybody everywhere. I think different people are going to have very different paths going forward. Uh, and so there are going to be people who have to use the tools at hand in order to survive, in order to defend themselves, in order to sustain themselves. But it's the, the, the logical end point of all of this should be held in mind. Do you want your children, your children's children, do you want the future of humanity or at least your lineage to look like what these people are dreaming? Because more and more, as I say, uh, reality is starting to reflect those dreams. And to me, it's horrific and really uh, blasphemous. Well, I definitely uh, appreciate you being with us this morning. Our author of the week, Joe Allen, uh, Dark Eon, Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. And like all of our author of the week books, you can get them at ABC Books on North Glenstone. Springfield's Talk 1041. I'm Nick Reed. Look, if you had the first alert forecast from... Color 10, Fox 49, meteorologist Tom Schmidt. Cloudy, 67 for a high today. Slight chance of rain tonight, 51. And tomorrow, a slight chance of rain in the morning. Then sunny, high of 62, Sarah Myers. Thank you. Well, actually, earlier this morning, I was having a conversation about my Avis long-term rental. One of our coworkers, they are actually going to be in the market to purchase a new vehicle soon. And uh, he was looking at some different vehicles and was, like, sticker-shocked, basically. He's like, do you know that, like, most vehicles are, like, 30 
$30,000 brand new. And I was like, yep, I sure do. So then uh, I started telling him about the long-term rental program. And he told me, he's like, well, after the show, can I come out and take a look at your vehicle? And I said, absolutely. Uh, but some of the, the great features of the long-term rental program is it is great if you are looking to purchase a new vehicle soon, but you don't want to make that uh, full commitment without actually doing kind of a longer test drive. Uh, there's no vehicle maintenance fees. You don't have to take any trips to the DMV. And if you get into a vehicle that you were interested in and then you realize it doesn't have enough room or it's got too many bells and whistles or maybe even not enough, uh, you can swap out vehicles every couple of months if you wish to do so. Now, if you want more information on the long-term rental program, you can just swing by the Avis store. It's located off of Fort and Sunshine here in Springfield. You can speak to Lauren and of course you can find all of their contact information under the Sarah's Endorsements tab at ksgf.com. Yesterday, FBI Director Christopher Wray testified before the House Committee on Homeland Security that due to the Israeli-Hamas war, the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States has been raised to a whole other level. In his prepared remarks, he provided more context to those threats, saying, quote, Since October 7th, we've seen a rogues gallery of foreign terrorist organizations call for attacks against Americans and our allies. Hezbollah expressed its support and praise for Hamas threatened to attack U.S. interests in the Middle East. Al-Qaeda issued its most specific call to attack the United States in the last five years. Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula called on jihadists to attack Americans and Jewish people everywhere. ISIS urged the followers to target Jewish Americans in the United States and Europe. In short, Americans are under threat both at home and abroad. Not surprisingly, Jews are at most, uh, or are, are most at risk from these threats. During questioning from the House panel, he admitted that the threats could be tied to pro-Hamas elements and global bad actors. Noting, certainly we're in an environment where a number of tips and threats are being reported to us, and they've gone up significantly since October 7th. We're already, as I testified earlier, at an elevated threat environment even before October 7th, and it's gone back, or it's gone to a whole nother level on the 7th. The biggest chunk of the threats have been reported to us by a good margin are threats to the Jewish community, synagogues, Jewish prominent officials, things like that. We also have a large number of tips and leads related specifically to Hamas and radicalization and recruitment. Now, one of the things that he said specifically, and this is, I want to make a point here about this almost proactive CYA by the Biden administration. CYA, cover your you-know-what. As Fox News reports on it, the, quote, greatest threat to the homeland is U.S.-based loan actors or small groups who are radicalized online and inspired by foreign terrorists, FBI Director Ray said on Wednesday, warning that we are at a heightened threat of environment. So he's testifying full acknowledgement, yes, things are, are worse than they were. They were bad before October 7th, but yes, we're, we're not denying that there is a threat. But in a characterization that many people may not recognize or even notice is the description that these are individuals that would be radicalized. Now, why, why, why does that matter? What, does, what difference does that make? This is an attempt to distance the Biden administration policies regarding the Middle East and Israel from any potential terrorist attacks that happen here in the United States. 
In other words, if there is a terrorist attack here in the United States, they are preemptively labeling it as someone here that was they, they saw what was going on and they're more of a they, they aren't really directly connected, but they were inspired by it. In other words, it's not our fault. Now, this may seem like semantics to some degree. But they know exactly what they're doing here. And whether it would actually work or not, I'm not sure. But I think that they recognize that there is a good chance that there will be some sort of terrorist attack here in the United States. And there's a very, very good chance that it could be carried out by somebody that has come across our border and allowed to come across our border because of the policies, border policies of this administration. I'm sure that they also recognize that there is a good chance that it will potentially be an extension of what has occurred in Israel and it will be an, a targeted attack on some sort of Jewish target. What they are afraid of is that that will be once again, it will be a demonstration of the failures of this administration. Here, their fingerprints are all over all of this because of the funding of Iran, the deliberate decision by the Biden administration to have billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars that was not accessible by Iran, all of a sudden accessible. And Iran fully said, we're going to use this for what we want. And the full acknowledgement that they helped, not just logistically, but financially with the terrorist attack against Israel. In addition to that, the lifting of sanctions, allowing Iran to make more money. On it. This is interesting because one of the arguments that the Biden administration made is, hey, we weren't giving them that money. This was money that they already had in the bank. It's just they didn't have access to it, so we gave them access to it. But in addition to that, they've lifted sanctions so that they are able to get more money that they did not have. And it was just announced yesterday, or I believe it was Tuesday, that the administration was going to lift the waiver on the sanctions, or have extend the waiver on the sanctions for another four months, allowing them even more money to funnel to Hamas to carry out their terrorist attacks. Aside from whatever the reason and motivation that the Biden administration has decided to continue to funnel money to terrorism, To me, it seems obvious that there is recognition within the administration that there could be a terrorist attack here in the United States that is a direct result of those decisions. Iran is given access to money they did not have because of Biden. That money goes to terrorism that comes across the border here and hits us in the United States. So in order to preempt that, if, and if you believe that there's, at this point, hopefully we could stop it, but a recognition that there's a very good chance we can't stop it and the, the paper trail is going to come right back to us. You begin to lay the groundwork in the minds of people that it's lone wolf. It's somebody that's inspired. In other words, it's not someone that's really connected directly. It's somebody that saw what was going on 
and and it would have happened it, one way or another. It was somebody that was a little crazy, and and this just happened to be the outlet they found in order to fuel their craziness. Listen, these are this this is the same government that to this day hides the manifesto of the Nashville shooter, despite the fact some of it is leaked out, and we all know why because they didn't fit the narrative. They deliberately manipulate information in order for the American people to believe regarding that particular attack what they want us to believe. So we know that this is a tactic they use because they openly used it. I mean, they, they don't deny that they're hiding that manifesto. For, now, they give absurd reasons for doing so. So it, it is recognizable that this is how they operate. And so when you have Christopher Ray fully acknowledging, oh, yeah, we're not naive to this. We know, yep, it's definitely a jump in, in threats. And, and uh, yep, we could be in real danger here. But planting the seed that, oh, the big danger here is that, there, you know, somebody here is going to be inspired by it, inspired by it. See, that's much different than being directly connected to it. So I think it's just important for us to recognize this verbiage and how it is they plan on using it, because should there be a terrorist attack? And should that attack have a direct connection that one can look at, you know, funding to Iran, Iran funding Hamas, Hamas doing that, and then, you know, having, or even if they are people that are here that are simply waiting for their orders, people that have been allowed into the United States some time ago, maybe even given a visa and it's expired or maybe not. The the point and the goal is to essentially sever any sort of real relationship between the mess that has been facilitated by the Biden administration and a terrorist attack here by making it seem as if, well, they were just some person and they were watching YouTube videos and, and they were just inspired. It would have been something that set them off, if not this. Springfield's Talk 1041. I'm Nick Reed. All our building company, the Woodvale Subdivision. This is Golden and Weaver in Springfield. Three to five bedroom home, 1,700, 3,100 square feet. If you are in the market for a new home, but you don't want to buy a home that's been lived in. And that really does limit you. And and it's it's all a matter of personal preference. Some people are that way with cars. There's some people that they will not buy a brand new car. There are others. That's all they buy. You know, some people like to buy pre-owned stuff. Some people don't like to buy pre-owned stuff at all. And you may be that way with your home. You don't want to do any of the remodeling. So that really does limit for you as tight as the market is anyhow. When you're looking at homes and if you only are wanting new construction, that, that limits you. So the Woodvale subdivision, this is an all or building company deal. Builder incentives in place. They have builder incentives. You can save a lot of money. Offset the concerns about higher interest rates, which you can refinance if we ever get past the Democrat economic policies to where interest rates begin to come down because of a healthy economy. Uh, then you can refinance it and get that lower interest rate. Then you have the best of both worlds. You got the lower interest rate, the 
but you also got the builder incentives in there. Aller Building Company, contact them. They can give you all the information. Their website is allerbuildingco.com, so you can uh, reach out to them that way. Or, of course, find them on Facebook. Aller is O-L-L-E-R. They're under Nick's endorsements, too. I thought I'd play a bit of audio while Christopher Ray did talk about terrorism and very subtly, yet effectively, attempt to separate the Biden administration's policies dealing with Israel and Iran from any potential future terrorist attacks we have in this country. There was a member of Congress from Louisiana by the name of Clay Higgins asking about or attempting to ask about the level of involvement and participation of undercover FBI assets on January 6th. Now, we have gone from a time in which there were many observers that just in in those very first days and observing the video, recognizing people said, I, I, you know, I know you can't necessarily just tell by looking, but some of these folks just don't seem like it just doesn't seem natural. It doesn't seem authentic. And so there were questions about whether our government actually had people within the crowds, namely the FBI. And this, of course, was described as complete conspiracy theories, QAnon, you're a nut job. And we've gotten to now to where they fully admit, yes, we did have agents there or we had assets there, whether in what capacity. This is what they're very cagey about. Part of the reason they've had to acknowledge it is because in their attempt to imprison some of these political activists, they have utilized the information gathered by or testimony given by some of those FBI agents that were there pretending to be Trump supporters. So they've actually used that as evidence to try and imprison political opposition. The question, of course, then is, okay, in what capacity? And this is where the FBI is, ah, well, we can't, you got to understand, we can't tell you because, you know, freedom and transparency and all. And we're not in any way, shape, or form a police state. This is Clay Higgins attempting to ask questions regarding ghost uh, ghost buses, uh, which if you're not sure what that is, he explains here yesterday with Chris Ferrey in that committee hearing. He said he was communicating with his FBI handler while people were entering the U.S. Capitol. Can you confirm that the FBI had that sort of engagement with your own agents embedded within to the crowd on January 6th. If you are asking whether the violence at the Capitol on January 6th was part of some operation orchestrated by FBI sources and or agents, the answer is emphatically You're saying no. No. You're saying no. violence orchestrated by FBI sources. Now, I know i got to pause here because I know many of you caught this, but for those that you did not, he wasn't answering his question. He was answering another question to make it seem like he was answering his question. So what was being asked here is what what level, what, you know, can't, uh, you've got some of these people testifying that they were communicating back and forth with their actual handlers while in the crowd. And so he revises the question and the answer. If you're asking if we're the ones who planned this whole thing, absolutely not. That's not what he asked. Horses or agents. Are you familiar with, with, you know what a ghost vehicle is? Director, director of the FBI certainly should. You know what a ghost bus is? A ghost bus? Ghost bus. I'm not sure I've used that term before. Okay. Well, pretty common in, in law enforcement. It's, it's a vehicle that's that's used for secret purposes. It's painted over. These two buses in the middle here 
They were the first to arrive at Union Station on January 6th. 0500. I have all this evidence. I'm showing you a tip of this iceberg. Mr. Chairman. These two buses Mr. are Chairman. painted completely white. Point of order. Point of order. Sure. Just run over the time. I understand, but you'll recall that Ms. Jackson Lee's been allowed to go two minutes before. I've been very fair in letting people finish their questioning throughout my tenure as chairman, and I'll continue to be fair on that regard. But I will make a note to the members, if you could stay as close within your time as possible, we have a lot of people that want to ask these gentlemen questions. So with that, the gentleman yields. But uh, your, your point, I've been very fair in this, Mr. Ivey, uh, with everybody on this side of the aisle just as much. I don't think I accuse you of being unfair, Mr. Chairman. I, you're you're making point a point. Okay, thank you. Uh, I now recognize. Now recognize, Mr. May Gray. I close this, this statement, uh, Mr. No, Mr. no I, I think I think your time is expired, Mr. I note that that other members across the aisle have been been granted time, and I object well, to my to my question being well, being closed. This is a very significant hearing, Mr. Chairman, and these buses are nefarious in nature and were filled with FBI informants dressed as Trump supporters. You, you deployed onto our capital on January 6th. Yeah. Your day is coming, Major Mr. Higgins. I now. You know, it's unfortunate that that line of those observations, those realities, the evidence, he had photos there blown up of these these ghost vans, that it's treated as incidental. Oh, now you're out of time. We got to move on to something else. There was an Iranian journalist on with Fox News yesterday, and she was being asked about this request for a ceasefire for humanitarian aid and and she explained i don't have time to play the audio but she explained something that is such a fundamental component to this in terms of loss of communication and some of it is deliberate but she said and she's from iran she's iranian she said what you have to understand when they talk humanitarian to them is eliminating the jews that is a humanitarian cause getting rid of the jews that is for the cause of humanity getting rid of israel that is humanitarian so while you are talking about and they are talking about humanitarian aid and you're thinking food and water and they're thinking fuel and rockets and bullets because that is their humanitarian cause. Now, all of these people continue in the name of humanitarianism to stop, which it dragging out any sort of war leading to a it's a slow drip of deaths. I, I mean, that is not humanitarian. It makes the people proposing it feel better. But if you wonder whether or not a pause, a ceasefire, is beneficial for humanity, ask yourself, why is it that the terrorists are the ones who are pushing it the hardest? Do you think that the terrorists are pushing a ceasefire because they think that that is in the best interest of humanity? We'll see you at Scramblers tomorrow. Glenn Beck's next. I'm Nick Reed.